Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Today's episode is The Secret Messiah and the Triumphal Entry. Why did Jesus so often tell people to be quiet when they discovered he was the Messiah? Christianity, after all, is all about telling the world that he is the Messiah. In fact, Jesus' last words, the Great Commission, include the mandate to spread the gospel around the world. So why was it that in his own ministry, he was so reticent about who he was? Was it because of humility, or did he have another reason? Listen to this message to find out about the messianic secret and the glorious moment when Jesus publicly announced his messianic claim during his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. In Mark 11.1, it reads, As they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And so this is the instruction Jesus gave to his disciples. Go to this town. There's going to be a colt there. And a colt is uh, a young donkey. And uh, go untie it. And I don't know if you've ever tried to untie a stranger's young donkey, but uh, people ask questions, right? Uh, Just like if you got into somebody's car in front of their house and you started looking for the keys, and, uh, you know, people would be like, what are you, what are you doing, right? <laughs> you might get beat up, too, all right. Verse 3, depends on what neighborhood, I guess. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, well, the Lord has need of it. The Lord needs it. And immediately he will send it back here, verse 4. So they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they said to him, to them, uh, they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and it works. They gave him permission. It's like, all right, take it. And then in verse 7, they brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. So he didn't have a saddle. They put their coats on top of this uh, young donkey, and then Jesus sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! That's just like John read, right? Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. It's just a a jubilant scene of exaltation and rejoicing. Hosanna is a, a cry of great joy. It means save now. And the implication is that the person you're saying it to can do something can do something to help your situation. And so they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. There's a crowd, there's great excitement. Jesus is on the donkey and he rides to Jerusalem. And verse 11, he entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. After looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. Can I have the children come up? I want to do the telephone game. Has anybody ever heard of the telephone game? Kids, can you come on up here? I want to just see what, uh, see what kind of telephone game skills you have. Come on up. Don't be shy. Uh, and we just need to have you stand in a line. Okay, you guys ever play the telephone game? 
I can give you the instructions if you haven't. Come on, right here, right here. Okay. Yeah, come, why don't you come right over here at, at the end? This would be good. And uh, I'm going to start all, all the way over here with Aaliyah. And I'm going to tell her a secret. And then she's going to whisper it to Vaughn and to John and, and so on down the line. And then we'll, we'll, see what, we'll see what it turns out to be at the end. Okay? You guys all ready for this? Any other kids want to come up here? What's that? We'll see how good the telephone signal is. All right. So I'm going to uh, mute my microphone so you guys don't hear. All right, one more. Okay, we'll give him one. Thank you. You just say what you heard in the mic, okay? Jesus is a... <laughs> you want to try again? Okay, well, let her say it again. Go ahead. Oh, Jesus is a sign of soul. All right, that basically illustrates our point. What was our original statement, Aaliyah? Hold on, let's say it into the microphone so they can all hear. Jesus is the Messiah, don't you know? Jesus is the Messiah, don't you know? All right, you can sit down, kids. Thank you. And here's the thing. There was once a time when that was a big secret. Did you know that? That Jesus was the Messiah, and he wouldn't even whisper it to his neighbors. And, and when people found out, he said, shh, don't tell anybody about this. Okay? And so there are these uh, number of times in, the, uh, in Jesus' life where amazing things would happen and, he would, and people would sort of guess or start thinking, maybe he is the Messiah. And he would say to them, And so one of these times was in Capernaum. He was teaching in a synagogue, and he was speaking with great authority. This is in Mark chapter 1. And there was a man there with an unclean spirit. You guys can go to Zechariah, actually. Let's go to Zechariah. That's going to take a good 20 minutes. So we'll, we'll give you time to get there, because Zechariah is buried there in the Old Testament. But back to the synagogue at Capernaum. There's a, there's a man there with an unclean spirit. Jesus is teaching, and out of nowhere, the man cries out, through this demonic voice, what business do we have with each other? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? You could just sort of like see his face distorting as like the impression of Hollywood is no doubt left with us. Um, and, the, and the demon-possessed man cries out, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Right? Just totally freaky. And so Jesus is, is, is teaching in the synagogue and this guy just erupts. And I, I don't know if it was like a ah kind of voice or if it was just kind of creepy and silent, like, I know who you 
You know, I don't know. We don't get that much information. But it was shocking. It was, it was at least as shocking as it would be right now if JoJo stood up and started uh, screaming and then left the room. That would be shocking because JoJo never does that, you know, uh, at least not yet. Um, <laughs> Hopefully we can keep that streak going. And uh, so the guy, uh, so Jesus, Jesus looks right at him and he says, be quiet, come out of him. Shh, come out of him. And the guy freaks out in these convulsions and falls on the ground, right? And everyone's just like, what is going on? I mean, usually, you know, you're, you're struggling in the synagogue, you know, you're doing the head bob like, You know, you're like a little sleepy in the synagogue, right? The people look like they're saying yes, but they're just head bobbing, you know? And uh, this time, nobody's sleepy. Everybody's sort of has their eyes fixed on Jesus, and they're saying, who, who is this guy? What is this teaching? With authority, he commands unclean spirits, and they obey him? But what's interesting in this whole thing is that the demon knew who Jesus was, Right? So there was, there was some sort of insight there in the spiritual realm that the rest of the people didn't pick up on. And Jesus told them, be quiet and come out of him. And then another incident was when Jesus went over to Jairus' house. Jairus had a daughter. She was very, very sick. And she was just about the point of death. And uh, the synagogue official, Jairus, came and he fell at Jesus' feet. You just imagine that. Falling at Jesus' feet and saying to him, Please come and heal my daughter. Please come and heal my daughter. My little girl is at the point of death. Lay your hands on her and she will get well and live. That's what he says. And so Jesus went. Jesus is like, all right, I'll go. Right? Jesus healed people. That's, that's part, of what he, part of what he did. And uh, when he got to the house, when he got near the house, somebody came from the house and they said, your daughter is dead. We don't need, you don't need Jesus anymore. She already died. And, and you could just imagine the father's heart sinking, breaking into pieces as he hears these words. Your daughter is dead. Don't need to, you don't need to get Jesus anymore. And Jesus turns to the man and says to him, Do not be afraid. Only believe. Whoa. Do not be afraid. Only believe. And so they get to the house. And when they get to the house, everyone's crying and weeping and oh, just agony and pain, right? Because this little 12-year-old girl has now died. And Jesus says to them, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And they start laughing at him, <laughs> right? They just start laughing at Jesus. And then Jesus says, get out, we need to get everybody out of here. And so he kicks everybody out of the house. And he goes into the inner room where she is. And he says to her, in the Aramaic language, he says to her, Talitha kum. Talitha kum. Which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. So basically saying, wake up, kid. Little girl, I say to you, arise. And I don't know if you've ever said that to a dead person. But the thing about dead people is they can't hear. And they certainly can't arise. Right? It wouldn't be such a bad thing if when you're dead you could still hear and arise, right? But the, dead people don't hear and they don't arise. And this girl did. She was dead and because of what Jesus said, she stood up and she was alive. Jesus healed her. I mean, just imagine the joy and the rejoicing in that moment. He said, get her some food. She's probably hungry. <laughs> and so 
when, he, when that happened, he warned them. This is the part that's so interesting to me. He warned them and he said, don't tell anybody about this. Shh, don't tell anybody, Mark. Don't tell anybody about what happened. It's a secret. Right? Why does he want it to be a secret? It wasn't time to know yet, right? It was a secret. And then the third time is when he was at Caesarea Philippi, which is a city that his disciples were there with him. And do you know what disciples are? They're, they're followers. Have you, anybody ever heard of Ninjago? Just raise your hand if you heard of Ninjago. Just a couple of people. All right. Well, Ninjago is a, is a Lego um, TV show and also actual Legos that uh, involves uh, Sensei Wu. And Sensei Wu is a, uh, you know, he's the leader of the dojo. And he, you know, he, uh, he trains up the ninjas. Uh, there are these ninjas here. And they, uh, they're Lego characters, but they, in the movie, they're awesome, or in the show, they're awesome, you know. And uh, he trains them up, and they, they, uh, their goal is to defeat Lord Garmadon and uh, the skeleton warriors. And uh, so Sensei Wu, anyhow, getting back to him, Sensei Wu is the master, right? And the ninjos are the disciples, okay? And so... The disciple is somebody that studies under a master, all right? It's kind of like the ninjas of Ninjago. But unlike Ninjago, Jesus wasn't teaching ninja moves. Uh, he was teaching how to live for God, which, which is a much bigger idea than uh, just uh, some basic ninja moves. Vaughn, you ever heard of Ninjago? Yeah. All right, somebody knows what I'm talking about. Thank God. Whew. Some, some of these people don't even know about it. Can you believe that? He believes it. Uh, it's not hard to believe. And so Jesus says to his disciples, to his uh, students that are in training, he says to them, who do people say that I am? Who, what's the buzz on the street? What do they think about me? And they said, well, some people think you're like Elijah or John the Baptist, risen from the dead, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to his star ninja, I mean disciple, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Messiah. The Son of the Living God. And you know what Jesus says? Shh, don't tell anyone. It's a secret. Isn't that something? I mean, you would think Jesus would be like, All right, I am the Messiah, let's go. Let's go. Let's go tell everybody. I mean, aren't Christians supposed to share their faith? But not, that's not what he does. He says, Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. He warned them to tell no one about him. So we have these three incidents, and there are many more. I just picked three. And the first time, he's casting out spirits, and he says, shh, don't tell. And the second time, he's healing Jairus' daughter, raised her from the dead, and says, don't tell anybody. And then the third time, he's with his own inner circle of disciples, and he says to them, shh, let's keep this a secret just between us. And so that's what, one of the reasons why I just love the triumphal entry. Because the triumphal entry is, Jesus is Messiah. Public announcement. Right? I mean, all this pent-up energy and all of these uh, people that he tells, don't tell anyone, at this moment in his ministry, a, a switch flips, everything changes, and now it's, 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 it's time to announce it. And it's Jesus is Messiah with all capital letters. And it is totally revealed. But here is the question. What is a Messiah? 
Is a, is a Messiah a, a spinjitsu move that Sensei Wu would teach? You think Messiah is that? I mean, it kind of sounds like a, it could be a move, you know? I'm going to Messiah you, you know? Uh, is a Messiah like a, a Megazord robot in Power Rangers when all the Power Rangers combine forces to defeat the forces of wickedness? No. No, it's not. He knows. He knows. Is it just for the, the ladies in the crowd? Ariel on a seat. Ariel on a seahorse? I always say Ariel. My son's like, Ariel. What's wrong with you, Dad? I'm trying to get that one right, but I don't have any daughters, so forgive me. It's just uh, the way it turned out. No, it's none of those things. To be the Messiah is to be a king like David. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 9. You guys there yet? <laughs> You're like, I've been there so long that my, uh, my Bible's going to open there automatically next time. Zechariah chapter 9. And so Jesus, uh, he communicates who he is in a way that's very clear to them. But to us, it appears like coded language. All right? So I have a graphic I want to show you. And I don't want anybody to say what it is. Okay? I don't want anybody to say what it is. And uh, just go ahead. Keep going. Oh, go, let's, all right, go back to the original version here. So, it's, it's not too hard to read, huh? The closer, this is, this is a uh, kind of a code in the sense that the closer you are to it, the harder it is to read. You know what I mean? You don't think so, Caitlin? You, could, you, could you see what it says right there? What does it say? All right, come, come closer. Could you come forward? I just want to see if this works on you. So I want, the closer you get to it, let's t let me see if, d now don't look at it. Don't look at it. Look, look over here. Just come a little closer. Come a little closer. Come right, right about here. And now look up at it. What does it say now? You can still see it? I guess it didn't work then. All right, you can sit down. And so the, this, is, this is the sort of thing that the closer you are to it, the harder it is to see, and then the farther you move away from it, the easier it is to see. And so this, this is, uh, this is sort of the sort of thing that if you know what it is already, you'll recognize it immediately, okay? And it's hard to not see it once you've seen it. Um, and so with Jesus, you have these coded actions that he does, but the actions are not code to the people of that time that know, knew these things. Like, for example, if... If, say, I, you know, if I rode in here on a donkey, right, what would you think I was doing? Saving gas. There you go. <laughs> Saving gas. Maybe I had decided that it was cheaper to feed a, a donkey than it was to buy gas. Probably would be cheaper, huh? Well, you might be on to something there. <laughs> but you wouldn't think to yourselves... Sean thinks he is enacting a prophecy in Zechariah 9 to show the whole world that he's the Messiah, right? That's just not a thought category for us. But look at, look at what happens in Zechariah 9, 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. And you remember when Jesus rode in on the donkey, everybody is rejoicing. Everybody is shouting. Every, there's high energy, right? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. This is the triumphal entry when Jesus rides in on the donkey 
is no longer a time for secrecy. It's a time for public announcement, a time for shouting loudly. And you know, the Pharisees, they heard the disciples shouting. You know, remember, anybody remember what they said? They said, Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. Don't let them talk like, you know, you need to control these people, right? And Jesus says to them, look, if I, the moment is so ripe and, and climactic that if I tell them to be quiet, the stones will cry out. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't do anything to stop anybody from telling who he really is in this incredible moment. And it's just like Zechariah 9.9, right? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So who is, who is it that's coming in? It says, your king is coming to you. So this is, this is a big clue. Riding on the donkey is not just getting somewhere. Riding on the donkey with these coats strewn about and these palm leaves all in the way making this path for him to go on, and everybody's shouting, this is, this is the king coming. That's what he's trying to communicate. And that's what Messiah means, don't you know? To be the Messiah is to be the king of the Jews, to be the king of Israel. And it turns out Messiah is even bigger than that because Messiah also means to be the king of the kingdom of God that's coming when Jesus comes back. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, what are chariots? What's the modern equivalent of a chariot? Tank. A tank. Thank you very much, Moses. So he's going to cut off the military weapon uh, uh, with the wheels on it, right? Which for us would be a tank, but for them was basically a chariot. He's going to cut it off. And the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations. So the king is supposed to speak peace to the nations, like Connie prayed, and then there will be no more war. And his dominion, dominion is, is the sort of thing a king has, right? A king has dominion. Where does, where does the President of the United States have dominion? Right, right. Sometimes he thinks he has dominion in other places too. We're not going to talk about that. But his dominion is supposed to be in the United States, right? And, other, and that's when wars happen, right? When somebody thinks their dominion is is over, uh, remember like Saddam Hussein thought his dominion was over Kuwait and that caused some problems, right? And so, uh, or, or uh, in history, you have this happen a lot, right? But the dominion of Christ, is it just going to be over Israel? What does it say? His dominion will be from sea to sea. You know how many seas are around Israel? Just one. The other sea is really far away. <laughs> so he's, he's got the Mediterranean Sea but the next sea is way on the other side of Asia and China, right? We took it ultra-literally, right? I'm not saying we should. I mean, the, the point here is universal, right? From sea to shining sea, and then from the river to the ends of the earth. So to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey to the shout of your disciples crying out these different things is saying, I'm the guy, I'm the king, I'm the one that Zechariah said would come and defeat evil, bring peace, and rule over the world. That's a big statement. You can see why he kind of kept that a secret earlier on, right? It wasn't time to let that known. And then the next coded thing he does is we have these palm branches. 
And so I, I found some coins. You know, on our coins, maybe we could show a coin, Brother Sean. Thank you. So this is a coin from the second century before Christ. This is John Hyrcanus. Kind of a cool last name, right? Hyrcanus. Could be like a an Ninjago character, I guess. I don't know, but it's not. All right, whatever. So what's on the back of our coins? We have like the eagle, right? Because, yeah, because the eagle is a symbol of what? Yeah, it's a, it's a symbol of America and, and freedom and these other things. That, you know, so it's a nationalistic symbol, right? So what does John Hyrcanus put on his coin? He's got a palm branch, a palm leaf, right, on his coin. Let's go to the next one. He's the first king. Oh, let's go back to uh, Hyrcanus again. John Hyrcanus is the first king since Zedekiah was taken out by the Babylonians, right? So there were about 500 years where there was no king, uh, no home homegrown king in Israel, and John Hyrcanus reestablishes the kingdom in Israel. He mints coins, and he puts the palm leaf on them. All right, next one. After him was another king named Alexander Junaeus, also of Israel, and, uh, or uh, we could call it Judah at this time, and uh, he ha- also has the palm branch on the back. And then, around the time uh, of Christ, there was a revolution, and then about a century later, another revolution, and that was uh, by Bar Kokhba. So we've got one more coin from Bar Kokhba. So this is after Christ, about a, a century later. Bar Kokhba uh, decides that uh, somebody, somebody, a guy named Rabbi Akiva, says of Bar Kokhba, he says, Bar Kokhba is the Messiah. Bar Kokhba is the Messiah. And everybody gets ex- exhilarated, excited and they're jumping for joy and they're like the Messiah has come it's Bar Kokhba yes and they all get on their uh, horses or whatever they've got and they get their swords and it's revolution against uh, the Roman Empire and they start fighting the Romans and winning their freedom Bar Kokhba gets into power he starts the calendar over again declares that it's year one mints a coin with a palm tree on it and so this is a nationalistic symbol of ancient Israel, these palm branches and palm trees, which is really something when you think about what they're doing while Jesus is riding into the city. What are they doing? They're, they're putting their clothes down in front of them as if he's royalty, and they're getting these palm branches involved, which was a common thing that they would do for the king when somebody is declared to be a king. All right, the third thing, and there are only three that I want to mention, the third coded act that reveals that Jesus is announcing himself as the Messiah is uh, what the people said. We could go to the next slide, Sean. What the people said. One more. There it is. All right, so from Matthew, we get the statement, you are the son of David. Okay? You are the son of David. Now, son of David, to us, doesn't sound like much, right? That just means dad's name is David, right? Now, in the Bible, to be son of David is a lot bigger of a statement because David, the king, David, to him was made a promise that one of his sons would sit on his throne and rule over Israel forever. Forever. I mean, that's a long time, right? So any, any of the kings that came after David, were they the fulfillment of this promise? No, because they all died, right? And so we need a king that's going to sit on the throne of David forever. And you know what? When, when Mary first encountered the angel Gabriel, the angel came to her and said, your son is going to be called great. He's going to be called the son of the highest one. And to him will be given the throne 
of David, and he will reign over Jacob forever. Gabriel, the angel, said that to Mary before Jesus was even born. And so that's what it means to be the son of David. When they're shouting out son of David, they're shouting out Messiah, King, the one who's going to deliver us. And then this Hosanna, who can deliver you from your problems? If your problems are the Romans and these other people that are in charge of you, right? It's the king. Hosanna, save us. And they're not thinking just save us from the Romans, but bring in an age where there's no more chariots, where there are no more bows, where there's no more need for war because there's peace between the nations. Not a shallow peace like we're all mutually afraid to destroy each other and so we don't want to make the first move, but a deep peace because there's nothing to fight about anymore. That's the sort of peace that Jesus is going to bring in the kingdom of God. Don't we long for that day? Don't we want to say Hosanna to this king? And then in John, they just come out and say it, right? John says that people are saying, you are the king of Israel. So I wanted to break us up and just sort of simulate this. Break us up into groups here. Now, uh, Bill had split the middle section into two. I'm going to reunite you. Okay, so Sue and Erica, you are now on the same team, okay? And Brian and Bonnie, you're on the same team, and John and Wendy are on the same team. Okay, so you guys are one group, the middle group. And then you're the left group over here. We've got the Taffys represented over here. This is, you don't want to mess with them. And then over here, we've got Sam, we've got Jim, we've got the band, except for this guy. But we've got the band over here, right? And uh, so we're going we're gonna to split into three groups. And on the left side, let's, let's hear you shout, you are the son of David. Or just shout, son of David. Let's go. Son of David. I didn't hear it. Did you hear it? That was weak. Let's, let's hear it again. Son of David. All right. It's a delay, a del- echo response there, right? Okay, now in the middle, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You ready? Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're good. They're, that's a big group, though, you know? A lot of pressure over here. They're feeling it. They're feeling a lot of pressure. The king of Israel. You ready? The king of Israel. All right, in the back. Got some power. All right? So here's what I want to do, just to simulate what it what must have been like when Jesus rode into the city to simulate it. I thought we could all say it at the same time. It's going to be confusing. But I think it'll, it'll get the point across. So we'll do it three times, right? Son of David, son of David, son of David, Right? Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then, like, uh, if any of the ladies want to start singing the song, Hosanna, you know, that's fine. You've got Alicia on your team. And then over here, we've got the King of Israel, the King of Israel, the King of Israel. You ready? When I say go, you got to go. You ready? Set? Go! <laughs> There's just too long. It's just too long. Should have just been Hosanna or something, right? That was intense, right? Imagine walk, you know, walking alongside and just hearing all these people crying out, Hosanna and Son of David and King of Israel, all at the same time. That would be awesome, right? And Jesus rides into the city. But you know what happens is there were, there were some people in charge, the Romans. The Romans. Boo. Nothing against Italian people, but the Romans, boo. Okay? The Romans are the bad guys in this story because 
Well, let's just redeem the Italians first. Let's redeem the, because we, we, need, we need to deal with this, okay? We need to deal with this. One of the very first non-Jewish converts to Christianity, who was he? Italians in the room. Cornelius. All right, he was an Italian. All right, so the Italians, they re they're redeemed, and uh, they got the Pope anyhow, so we don't have to say anything else. A new Pope. So uh, where am I going with this? All right. So, <laughs> it's like, Uh, Chuck's not going to take me out to lunch ever again after that one. All right. So anyhow, the Romans in this scene, at least, they're the bad guys. And you know what? They're in charge. They're in power. You know what I mean? And so the Romans are in power. And if some Jewish king rides into the city and says, and everybody's shouting, what are you guys shouting? Son of David. Son of David and, and just give me the short version. Hosanna. And you're shouting. King of Israel, if we have everybody shouting that kind of thing, that is, the Romans are going to see that and they're going to think to themselves, who is this guy? <laughs> right? And, and, and wait, wait a second, aren't we in charge? Who, who are these people and who is this guy? And who does he think he is? And we'll hear more about that story next week. Okay, we'll hear more about that story next week. So we're going to have to leave that like a cliffhanger. You know what I mean? We'll just leave that for next week where it's it Jesus and the Romans and, and all that. But what I want to communicate to you is simply this. Jesus is Messiah. Let's say it together. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Messiah. One more time. Jesus is Messiah. That's something to be excited about. And to be the Messiah is to be the son of David, to be the king of Israel, and the one who uh, everyone is shouting Hosanna to. And so I think... I, I, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Is this a secret? No. no. Is this a secret? No. no, this is not a secret. Is it a secret in your life? No. Oh, oh, not, not so strong there. When I said, is it a secret in general? Definitely no, right? Is it a secret in my life? Uh, I'm not, well, not usually. Uh, yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. Whether it's a secret in your life, or you got a bumper sticker that says Jesus is Messiah on the back of your donkey or whatever you drive to work. <laughs> whatever the case may be, we have a major opportunity in two weeks. A major, major opportunity. Because the people in this country, for whatever reason, believe they should go to church on Easter. Did you know that? Of course you knew that, because you live in this country, right? And so people believe they should go to church on Easter, even if they don't go any other time of the year, even if they uh, complain about this or that normally. On Easter, you know what they do? They get their clothes on, get their kids looking all cute. They buy those little mini suits for the, the boys and the dresses for the girls, and they dress up all their kids, and they come. You know? And so people are actually... It's, 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 it's really a, kind of a, a good thing to take advantage of for us, Right? People are actually looking for a place to go on Easter, whereas the rest of the year, not as much, right? Depends on what, what's going on in their lives. So for Easter, we have an opportunity to invite people, okay? Now, it's, it's great if you can preach the gospel to somebody at your workplace or who is in your um, uh, woodworking club. Sam's like, I don't have a club. I just, I just do it. All right, whatever. But, I mean, whatever, whatever you're into... There are people 
right? And we can invite them to come. And if, if you have an open door to share the whole gospel about who Jesus is, about the kingdom of God, about how he died for our sins so that we could live forever, then do it. But you know what? A lot of times we don't have those opportunities, but we can still invite somebody. We can still say to somebody, hey, where are you going for Easter? Why not? Where are you going for Easter? I don't know. They're like, well, I know a good place to go. I was there two Sundays ago. <laughs> right? And, and, and we can invite people to let, uh, to, to let the secret out that Jesus is the Messiah. Right? And so I want to encourage you to do that. I know we've got this week and then we've got next week to do this. So we've got a couple of weeks. And what I, what I would really like you to do is just have an open mind here. Have an open mind to invite some people to come. And we'll, get, we'll pack this place out. Right? And we'll, we'll, we'll hear a sermon about the resurrection that is going to really be powerful. And we're going to have awesome music. And we're going to have special dessert food in the back. Right? And it's going to be a great time of rejoicing together. And people can hear the gospel. They can hear about the kingdom message if we can partner together with what's going to happen in a couple weeks here. Okay? So let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would be with us, that you would guide us, that you would give us excitement, passion about the fact that your son is the Messiah. And Father, although in the time of the first century, Jesus had some other business he had to handle. He had to, to redeem us from our sins, to purchase us with his blood. But Father, we also know that's not the end of the story. We know that He's coming back. He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And this tired old world is going to get restored. And we long for that time. Please give us boldness, Father. Don't let us get talked out. Don't let us um, say to ourselves, Oh, I can't do this. Or um, they'll never agree. Or I don't want them to think I'm weird. Or whatever excuses come up in our heads. Father, give us... Give us a little bit of courage here. Give us that lion-like vigor that your son had when he rode into Jerusalem. Help us to have that spirit running through our veins to empower us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitutio.org, where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.